Pew Research recently released some results that said that now 63% of Americans call themselves Christians, which is actually down from 75% just 10 years ago. The reality is, though, of the 63%, you and I both know, right, that most people actually aren't living out their faith. Or how about this? Did you know that the fastest rising quote-unquote religion in America right now is people that say that I have no religion? We call them the nuns. They check the box on the census of none. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not Jewish. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm nothing. I'm none of those things. And of that 29% of Americans who now call themselves none, most of those are in the millennial and Generation Z generations. Now, let me summarize what I've said to you so far, basically. When it comes to Generation X, which I'm a part of, and then the boomers, we aren't living out our Christianity. And then the younger generations, the millennials and Generation Z, are saying we want nothing to do with Christianity. Now, the question is, why? How did we get to that type of place? Well, it's a myriad of answers that would go into to that. It's very, very complex. But I would say the primary thing is this. There are people, some of them doing it knowingly, some of them unknowingly, that have gotten us to question the Bible, to question why in the world would people base their lives off of an ancient manuscript written thousands of years ago by dozens and dozens of people in a time when they, they didn't understand modern science, in a, in a time where, you know, they were just very, very primitive in, in what they were doing and, and what they were thinking? Why, why would we trust that? I mean, that was a day and time when the, the, the people, they believed in the gods or a, a god of some sort. So the, the argument is basically this. We're modern people living in modern times. So we shouldn't believe a book of fairy tales like the Bible because we've sort of evolved beyond that. Now, maybe you've heard that before, or maybe you've even thought that before. You, you've questioned your, your own faith, that you're like, am I really supposed to believe the Bible? Am I really supposed to, to base my beliefs and my actions because the Bible tells me so? Again, if you're thinking that, you're not alone. That's just how our society and our culture is gone. More and more people thinking, well, I'm not doing it because the Bible is outdated. It was written so many years ago, and it has nothing to do with us today. But here's the good news for you today as we get started. Christianity is not a blind faith. You see, we don't put our faith in a book. We put our faith in an event. We don't do things just because, well, the Bible tells me so. We don't put our faith in, you know, well, my parents brought me up this way. No, we, we put our faith in the event. It's called the resurrection of Jesus. It's a historical fact that can be investigated to see whether it's true or not. So let me say that again. We don't put our faith in the Bible. We put our faith in, is the resurrection of Jesus true or not? And so today, whether you're investigating Christianity, you've walked away from Christianity, you're getting ready to walk away from Christianity, you just need strengthened in your Christianity, basically the only question you need to ask yourself is this. Is either Matthew, Mark, 
Luke, or John, a reliable and accurate account of what happened in the day and time of Jesus, and specifically about his resurrection. Because if even just one of those accounts is true, again, it doesn't even have to be all of them, just one of them is either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, a reliable and historical account of what happened in Jesus' day and time. If it is true, just one of them, then that has severe implications for our lives. Because now, if Jesus really was resurrected from the dead, then he really is God, which is who he claimed to be. He really does have the power over sin. He really does have the power to forgive. He really is the only way. Remember, it's Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus really was resurrected from the dead, then that means all the other religions aren't true. And so this is a pretty big deal. Is either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable historical account of the resurrection of Jesus? You're going, Gilbert, how, how is it that so many people like they're, they're confused about this? And why is it that even sometimes I'm confused about this? Is it real or is it not real? Are we just supposed to have this blind faith or can we put our faith into facts? Because see, that, that's what a lot of people in the world are trying to tell you is, don't believe the fiction of the Bible. We're modern people. We have facts now. Well, again, all those facts can be investigated. And the reason there's so much confusion is because of how we got the Bible. Let me explain it to you. They're going to put a, a timeline on the screen here for you. And this is basically the, the Christian faith in a nutshell. Basically what happens is there's an event that happens in 33 AD. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Now, whether you believe the resurrection actually is true or not, what you cannot deny is this, that right after the resurrection, there is a movement of people that believed in the resurrection. Again, you may not believe that the resurrection is a historical fact, but you cannot deny that this movement started, that people started to preach and teach that Jesus had risen again from the dead, that he had the power over sin, that he could forgive you of your sins right here and right now, that you could have a brand new life here and now, and that you could have eternal life with him forever. And this movement, it keeps growing and growing and growing, and it's spreading and spreading and spreading throughout the then known world. Again, you cannot deny that. The reason we're here today, 2,000 years later, or you're watching online, is because that movement just kept spreading. So there's supposedly a resurrection. Undeniably, then there's a movement that happens that originally is called the way. Eventually, the people are called Christians. Today, we call it the church. That movement then, as it's going on, there are some people that start to document what it is that was happening in the movement. And today, we have five different books of people that documented the movement. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, which talks about everything that happened after Jesus' resurrection and the founding and the starting of the movement, the, the early days of that movement. Now, what I'm going to share with you throughout this uh, series is that we can go back and we can see from history, as we start to piece together the facts, that all of those five books, or actually not all of them, uh, uh, four of the five were written before 60 A.D. In other words, within about no more than 27 years after the resurrection itself. 
As we'll see in the series here, the book of Mark was written somewhere between 45 to 50 AD, meaning that it's written 12 to 17 years after the actual resurrection. And that's pretty significant because that's within the lifetime of other people that they'd be able to go, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) What you guys are writing, it's all false. It's all fake news. No, 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 no. It, It isn't true. But yet we have nobody in history writing during that time saying that what was happening isn't true. In fact, again, we're going to look at even the critics of Christianity during that day and time. Some of the things that they write about actually help to reinforce that Christianity is true. Again, you'll have to just keep coming back throughout this series so as we can, uh, you know, we'll hear about all these various things that happen. In any case, it is not until then 363 AD, 300 years after the resurrection, and after these things are written, that now all of a sudden, those five historical books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, along with 22 other documents that people were eyewitnesses or good friends of eyewitnesses, all 27 of those documents are bound together along with the 39 books of the Jewish scriptures to make up the 66 books that today we call the Bible. Here's my point. The story of Jesus is not a Bible story. Say that again. The story of Jesus is not a Bible story. The story of Jesus is why we even have a Bible. You see, if there is no resurrection, there is no movement. And if there is no movement, people aren't documenting the movement. And if none of that is being documented, then we never have the Bible. Does that make sense? Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Bible. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we have a Bible. These letters, these documents have been circulated for over 300 years. People's lives were being changed. The world was being changed. And there was no such thing as the Bible. Now, the Bible's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's the individual documents within the Bible that's most important. And so again, if either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John can be proven to be historically accurate, then our faith can be based off of facts, not just simply putting our faith into faith. And so today, and then over the next five weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the facts. We're going to see, can the Bible actually be proven? Can Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the book of Acts, can they actually be proven? And I'm excited about next week, because what we're actually going to do is we're going to look at how do cold case detectives solve murders that happened long in the past? What are the principles that they use in order to solve these mysteries? And we're going to look at juries, that when a jury gets their instructions about eyewitnesses, there's four different questions that they have to ask themselves about the eyewitness to see, are they speaking the truth? Is is their testimony reliable or not? And so we're going to take these things from cold case detectives. We're going to take these things that juries learn, and we're going to actually apply it to Christianity to see, is the resurrection true or not? And we'll test the reliability of the New Testament authors as well. Today, though, I want to give you a preview by looking at just one 
of those authors. His name is Luke. How many have heard of Luke before? Right? What you may not know about Luke is this. A lot of people assume that all four of the gospel writers were Jesus' disciples. They're not. They're not. Matthew was. John was. But both Mark and Luke, they weren't actually disciples of Jesus. They are actually disciples of the disciples of Jesus. But Luke, he's living in that day and time, and, and Luke is, had the opportunity to talk to all 12 of the disciples, or actually, I guess that's not true because Judas was gone, uh, but he gets to talk to the, the other disciples. Um, he, he interviews the different people that are in the story. He gets to meet with Mary, talk to her about what was it like as Jesus was growing up. You know, tell, tell me that story again. And so he hears these stories over and over and over again. Luke, he, he becomes a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke, he, he knows James, the brother of Jesus. He interviews him. And so Luke, he's actually in the story now. And he writes both the, the Gospel of Luke and then the, the book of Acts as well. And we, we see him there. He, he's in, in the story, interacting with all these people. Now, Luke, he, he was a doctor, and he's now a follower of Jesus. So he's still practicing you know, medicine and everything, but he's doing this travel, he's preaching, and he's, he's helping to teach and everything. And he starts his biography of Jesus out, not with the words, once upon a time, or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's not how he starts. He actually starts with a simple word that gets overlooked. How many of you ever, like, you're reading through Scripture and you're, like, skipping parts because you're like, well, that's probably not important. Or, or there's maybe some words that it's not until somebody like myself that explains it and you go, oh, wow, I never actually saw that before. You ever done that before? I mean, I know I've, I've done that before. Luke, he's going to start out his gospel with one single word that has significant historical relevance. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 1. Verse 1, he says what? He says, what's the first word? What is it? Many. Say it out loud. Many. Say it again. Many. That's how he starts out. So he says, many, 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 many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So he says, look, many people are already doing and have done what I'm about to do. They've already written accounts. Many people have done this about the events that are literally happening right here and right now in our generation. Now, let me ask you a question. Participate, those of you in the room, those of you online as well. Just answer this question. How many people are going to write an account about your life? The answer is not many. Unless you do something incredible with your life or something extremely horrific with your life, people aren't going to remember your life. You're going, well, that's depressing. It is sort of. I'll, I'll prove this to you. I'll show you that it's true. In your head right now, can you name first and last name, all eight of your great-grandparents. 
I've been asking this question over the last couple months as I've been preparing this. I haven't had anybody yet that's been able to name all eight by name. Now, maybe if you're somebody that's like really, really in the ancestry and genealogy and stuff like that, maybe you could do that, all eight of them. Like for me, I can do three, but I can't do all eight. Anybody here making the claim that you can do all eight? I don't see any hands going up. Isn't that sad? These are your relatives. Only like a couple generations away from you, and you don't even remember their name. They are forgotten in history. I mean, if you don't remember them and they were your relatives, who else is remembering them? And the answer is nobody. And so who's going to write stories about your life? Not many people. But yet Luke writes here that many people are are writing about Jesus. Now, let's look at at history here. Were there other famous people during Jesus' day and time? Sure there were. There was Tiberius Caesar. There's King Herod. And people wrote about their lives. But you know what we have about their lives? Not very much. What we have is a quote here and there. We have a story here and there. And a lot of it was like centuries later, like historians like Josephus who are are actually writing about, okay, I found this quote and I found this story, and they sort of cobbled together the, the story of King Herod or Tiberius Caesar. And so if there's not a lot written about ancient kings and rulers, how many stories do you think were written about ancient peasants or ancient criminals? The answer is none at least none that survived. Unless, of course, you're talking about Jesus. And what's amazing is, as we read through the book of Luke, we have this very meticulous document of almost sometimes minute by minute the actions of Jesus, of what he was doing and what he was saying. There is nothing else in all of ancient history that's anywhere even close to the book of Luke. So much documentation that he writes down. And Luke says, look, I'm not even the first that have done this. Many people have written an account of this guy named Jesus. And the question you got to start to ask yourself is why? Why would so many people be writing about this Jesus guy? And the answer is because something miraculous must have happened. Something amazing had to happen. Sure enough, that's what we get. And keep in mind, Luke, he's busy, he's a doctor, and this is a day and a time when food is scarce and and life is rough. But yet he writes this very detailed account of a Galilean carpenter-turned-rabbi. Why? Because something amazing had happened. And not only is Luke writing about it, but he says many people are writing about it as well. And he's saying, look, what I'm writing about this has implications for, for the here and the now, for our generation and generations to come. And it has implications for the world where we live right here. And it has implications for the entire world as we know it. And so he says many people have written about the events. And he says that have happened amongst us. Brought this up earlier. He doesn't say that happened to them. No, he says, this is happening right here, right now in our generation, and I'm a part of it, he's saying. 
And again, this is important for you to understand that ancient history was oftentimes written hundreds of years after the actual events by people who were able to grab a quote here and there and grab a story here and there, and then they would put it together into a, a history of some sort and, and make some, some stories. But Luke's saying that's not what's happening here. He's like, these things are happening right here amongst us. Luke's writing, what I'm writing is what's currently happening. Again, as you read through the, the book of Acts, you see Luke himself. He's actually traveling with the men and the women who all interacted with Jesus. So he says, these things have been written by many and it's happening amongst us. And then he continues on in verse 2 and he says, they, meaning the other people that wrote, they use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. That's a key word there. These are eyewitness reports. This isn't hearsay. These are eyewitnesses. And there's these many documents and there's these many people that Luke has interviewed himself. There's many of these things that are floating around. And so he continues on then in verse 3 and he says, Therefore, having investigated everything from the beginning... I also have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now I'm going to unpack that particular verse in greater depth because there's a lot of reasons that he writes the words that he writes here. We'll do that in, in future weeks. But for now, basically Luke is going, look, I'm writing what I'm writing because I read all the other eyewitness documents because many people have been writing about this. And I've investigated it myself. I've done the interviews with the disciples. I've talked to Mary. I've talked to Peter. I've talked to Paul. I've talked to James, the brother of Jesus. I've investigated all these things myself. And he says, now I'm going to write an orderly account of everything. And it's going to be the most detailed account that's been written so far. Which helps to explain why Luke, he decides to start not with the ministry of Jesus starting in 30 A.D., Instead, he starts with the birth of Jesus. In fact, he actually goes even before that. He starts with the birth of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was the forerunner of Jesus, the one that would say, look, here comes the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was the one that was saying, this is the Messiah who has come to us. So, I mean, Luke, he goes all the way back. That's why I'm saying, you know, he would sit with Mary and he'd say, okay, tell me the story of Jesus' birth one more time. I mean, you, you guys were <laughs> on a donkey. I mean, you were, you're traveling and there was no room in the end. Oh my goodness, this blows me away. Let, let me write that down. Let me get all the details of what happened. And so he had done this careful investigation and he's writing it all down. And let me remind you, when Luke writes his document to his friend Theophilus, he doesn't realize that he is writing the Bible. In fact, Luke doesn't know that one day there's going to be the Bible. Luke is writing this just for his friend. Now, apparently, Theophilus, he was already a, a follower, and, and he had some questions, you know, about the, the Christian faith. And so Luke's like, all right, I'm just going to write this very detailed, very orderly account so that Theophilus has all these details. He probably figured nobody other than Theophilus was ever going to read what he was writing. And so with all that said, we don't believe that the writings of Luke are true because they're in the Bible. 
we believe that they're in the Bible because they're true. Now, let me help to illustrate this for you. How many of you ever stayed in a hotel room before? Ever stayed in a hotel room? All right, everybody. How many of you ever looked in the closet of a hotel room and you see that there's a safe in there? Have you ever seen the safe that's in there? Anybody ever used the safe? Maybe you put in, you know, you had some cash or some jewelry. Maybe it was your passport, an iPad. You're like, I don't know if I trust, you know, like the, the cleaning people as they come in and out. And this is like very, very valuable to me. So I'm going to put it into the safe. To keep, anybody ever use the, the safe? Yeah, a couple of you are doing that. Maybe those of you in the chat there online, maybe you've done it as well. You've used the safe. Now, let me ask you a question. This is not a trick question at all. When you put something into the safe, was the act of putting it into the safe what made it valuable? Or was it already valuable and you decided, oh, I need to put it into the safe? Which one is it? Is it that I have something and as soon as I put it into the safe, now it's valuable? Or was it already valuable and that's why you put it into the safe? Which one is it? It's the latter, right? It was already valuable and that's why you put it into the safe. What I'm trying to get you to see is the ex it's the exact same thing here with the book of Luke. Here's how I put it there on your outline. Luke being in the Bible isn't what makes it valuable and reliable. It's because it was already considered valuable and reliable that it made it into the Bible. Let me say that again. Let that really sink in. Luke being in the Bible isn't what makes it valuable and reliable. It's because it was already considered valuable and reliable that it made it into the Bible. So being in the Bible is not why we consider it to be true. Now, we're going to look in future weeks of how did certain documents make it into the Bible? Because a lot of documents got rejected. And we'll look at why was that? Why did certain ones make it in and other ones didn't? Well, it's because certain ones were considered to be true and reliable. And it's those 27 documents that end up becoming the 27 books of what we call the New Testament. Again, so many people today, they're walking away from Christianity because they say, well, I don't believe that the Bible is true. But really, that's not being intellectually honest to say, well, I don't believe that the Bible is true. To be intellectually honest, here's what you'd have to say. Here's why I believe that Matthew was lying. Here's why I believe that Luke was lying. Why Mark was lying. Why John was lying. Why Peter was lying. Why Paul was lying. Why James was lying. Here's why I believe each and every one of those people who wrote those 27 books, here's why I believe that all of them were lying. And if you can make a case for that, then you can say that you don't believe that the Bible is true. But until you make that case, until you can make that point of why all of them were lying, then again, it's intellectually dishonest to say that you just simply don't believe because, well, it's in the Bible. And what we're going to do over the next couple weeks throughout this series is we're going to look at the ways that we can know that these guys were not lying and why their documents did make it into Scripture. In other words, we're going to prove that each one of the documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, that they are reliable historical accounts of what happened in Jesus' lifetime, specifically around his death, and then his resurrection. Again, we're going to look more of all that in the future, but for today, let's continue on. Verse 4, Luke writes, I write this to you so that you may know the truth about all the things that you're being taught. 
Again, Theophilus, he's already a believer. He just has a couple questions. And so Luke decides to write this out for him. He carefully investigates everything. He writes this letter to him, this orderly account, so that Theophilus can know that what he's being taught is true. And I want to say the same thing to you. Christianity is not about putting your faith into faith. In fact, that's what I entitled today's message. Don't put your faith in faith. We are not to have a blind faith. We are to base our faith on the facts. And it's those facts that will help us to strengthen our faith. We put our faith in the facts of the eyewitnesses who recorded that Jesus died and rose again. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul said about this very thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Paul writes, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, our message is what? Our message is worthless, and so is your faith. See, even Paul's saying, look, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then why even have faith? Why even have this thing called Christianity? And how could he so confidently write something like that? It's because he had himself encountered the resurrected Jesus. He was an eyewitness that Jesus was resurrected. And he too spent time with the disciples and with others who are eyewitnesses of all that had happened. And so Luke is writing this document to help his friend know the truth. And keep in mind that Luke is writing this at a day and a time that the Romans were not happy about this movement that had started, this new thing, this, this, this thing called the ecclesia, the, the followers of the way, this thing called the church. They're not happy. The Romans, they're rounding up the Christians. They're killing them. They want to do away with them. And so Luke is writing this to his friend Theophilus, and he's basically putting his own life at risk by even writing the document. But then what does Theophilus do? He's like, this is really cool. He starts like sharing a letter with others, and they're like making copies of it. All of a sudden, these copies of this letter that Luke wrote, they're just going all over the place. Now you're asking, well, how do we know that all these copies were reliable? That, you know, it wasn't like the telephone game, and it kept getting changed over time. We'll look at that in future weeks. We can see from history that the documents were not changing. Every single time it got copied down, even as the centuries went on, man, it's the exact same thing over and over and over again. We know that what Luke wrote is exactly what we have here today. But all of a sudden, there's all these thousands of copies of Luke, and it's not just in that local region anymore. Now it's down in Africa, and it's into Europe, and it's all throughout Asia. And it's not just Luke's letter that got circulated. Other people, these, uh, these people that were documenting everything that was going on, Matthew and Mark and John and James and Peter and Paul, they're, they're writing all these documents, these individual letters to people in the churches, and people start making copies of those. And all of a sudden, those letters are getting circulated all. So nobody had all 27 of them, but they had some of them. And they're circulating all over the place. And finally, in about 300, uh, around the, the turn of the third century, um, Diocletian, who was the Roman emperor at the time, he was so fed up with the Christians, he's like, all right, we've tried rounding them up and killing them, but they keep talking about this Jesus guy. What we need to do is get rid of all their literature. And so he ordered that all Christian literature be found and burned. But by then it was too late. It was too late. It had spread so wide and so far, there were so many copies that even Diocletian as the Roman emperor, he couldn't even stamp out Christianity. 
all the documents were out there. And something amazing happens. A new Roman emperor comes on the scene. And his name is Constantine. And Constantine signed what's called the Edict of Toleration. And in that edict, it was declared that not only were Christians not to be persecuted anymore, but that now Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. You know what that did? It meant that now people didn't have to secretly worship. They could actually come out in public and worship. They didn't have to fear for their lives anymore. And what that meant was now all these documents that, you know, you guys had some of the documents and you guys had some of the documents and you guys had some of them, you guys had some of them. All the documents now could come out freely and people could start to compare and contrast. And oh my goodness, the, the, the documents in Africa and the ones in Europe and the ones in, in uh, Asia, they're all saying the exact same thing. There was no copious errors that were, were going on. And we'll look in future weeks that there are a couple errors in the copies, but they're so minor. And I'll explain exactly what those errors are. And it doesn't change the theology in any way. It doesn't change the facts in any way. It's like, you know, you and I making a typo. Or have you ever sent a text and the autocorrect made it something else? But yet people can still understand what you meant. It's just it had a different word in there. It's the same type of thing that sometimes happens as the copies were being made. But we're talking that when you compare the copies, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm just going to throw it out, right? Because um, I'm excited about this. Man, we don't have to just have blind faith. We can base our faith on facts. 99 point, uh, yeah, 99.5% of all the copies are exactly the same. So it's amazing how accurate they were in a day and time to carefully write these things down. And part of that had to do with Christianity came out of the Jewish religion originally, and the Jews have what were called the scribes. Remember, we talk about the Pharisees all the time here at Exponential. If you ever read in, in the New Testament, a lot of times it's the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, what were the scribes? The scribes were the people that were carefully copying the Jewish documents, the 39 books of what we would call the Old Testament. And so since Christianity came out of that, sort of this tradition of how to carefully copy documents became a part of the Christian tradition as well. And so it's, it's absolutely amazing that all of a sudden now all these documents after the edict of toleration, they're, they're coming out and people are like comparing and contrasting and like, oh, that's, that's not right. You know, that, that was obviously a, a fake. That obviously wasn't written by an eyewitness. You know, uh, there's a, a book called The Gospel of Peter. We know that it was written a couple hundred years after Peter. It wasn't, it was claimed to be written by Peter, but it wasn't. But it was pretty easy to spot which ones were the fakes and which things were the real things. And it was then and only then that this council gets together, 363 AD, and they say, all right, we've compared everything, all the documents. Here's the fake ones. Here's the 27 that we know are true, that are historically reliable. Again, what they did at that point is they bound those 27 books together with the 39 books of the Jewish scriptures to create the 66 books that today we call the Bible. Again, the main question we have to ask ourselves is this. 
is either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, a reliable historical account of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now listen, if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't want to follow Jesus because it's inconvenient, I get that. Because Jesus said to give up your own life in service to Him and in service to others. Jesus is the one that says that He wants all of your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. He wants all of you. So again, if you reject Christianity because you say, that's too much, I want to live for myself, I understand, I don't think that's the best way to live, but I understand that that's why you would reject Christianity, because it's just asking too much from you. But don't you dare reject Christianity because you say, well, the Bible is not true. Because again, what you have to prove is that Matthew was lying, that Mark was lying, that Luke was lying, that John was lying. And so here's my challenge for you. Join us for all six weeks of this series. And don't make up your mind until the, the very end. You know, hold, hold your judgment at the end. Let me present all the facts. And then you make a decision. Were they lying or not? And I'll encourage you, do, do your own investigation as well to find out were they lying or not. Because again, the issue is not, is the Bible true? But is either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable historical account? Because if even one is, then that has extreme implications for our lives, how we live our lives. It has implications for our eternal destinies as well. And it has implications for not just you, but your family and the world itself. Next week, we're going to jump right into how the cold case detectives they solve things. And we're going to look at the first question the juries are asked to evaluate. That was the eyewitness even there? Were they present? Because sometimes people, they'll testify to something saying that they were somewhere, but it turns out that they actually weren't. So that's the first question you have to ask. Were they actually present or not? And so we're going to look at next week. Was, was the eyewitnesses, were they actually there or not. And it's pretty fascinating. Um, and I'll already tell you in advance, we're, we're going to have a lot to cover next week. I don't even think I'm going to preach out. I'm going to have a stand. I, I got like 50 names you're going to have to hear, right? <laughs> Times and places and all, all, kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff. So I can't memorize all that. But uh, man, it, it is fascinating, fascinating stuff is we're able to trace back to uh, everything uh, that happened. So please join us as we do that. But for now, let's uh, pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to start this brand new series. This is one I've been wanting to do for a couple years now, and there was just some logistical things that uh, we needed to just be able to have, and you've been able to provide those things for us so that now we have the technology and the various things that we'll need to present everything here. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that, um, again, whether people are investigating Christianity, they've walked away from Christianity, getting ready to walk away from Christianity, or just need strength in, in their Christianity, the Lord, today's message would at least cause us to pause and stop and say, oh, this isn't just about a blind faith. This is the ability to put my faith into facts. So Lord, I, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech over these uh, next uh, five weeks now um, as we just look at each of these things. 
And I pray that your spirit would speak to each and every person that's either here or watching online to help them make their own determination of is Christianity real or not? And Lord, I, I know it is based on the facts. And I pray that as others discover those same facts and they, they put their faith in those facts, that Lord, they would realize that that does have implications for their lives. But now we do need to truly surrender everything to you. Not live for ourselves anymore, but to live for you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To truly love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That life isn't about us, but it's all about you and what we can do to serve you and bring glory to you. And so Jesus, we, we thank you that you did die on the cross, that you did rise again from the dead, and that that has the power to change our lives. Do that in our midst over these next couple weeks as we look at the facts of your resurrection and all that you do for us. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.